Hello and welcome back to the Coach by Leanne podcast where we dive into all things women's health, fitness and netball. I am your host Leanne and today we're diving into a topic that in recent years has become very much part of my life and if you're a woman and you reach a certain age it will most definitely become part of your life as well and that's the menopause. Now today is World Menopause Day and we seem to be hearing about menopause everywhere which is both a very very good thing but also I think there needs to be a balance sometimes um, when we when we talk about it. So menopause has become such a popular topic at the moment in the news in the media and with more and more people, doctors coming forward and celebrities, Davina McCall obviously being a big one, coming forward and talking about menopause and their experience about menopause, I think is a very, very good thing. And I think it's a really positive thing because in years gone by, you you know, when I was younger, when I was in my 20s, 30s and even younger, it, menopause just wasn't something spoken about. It wasn't spoken about within families. It wasn't spoken about within schools. It wasn't spoken about in the media. It was just something that women were expected to just go through. It was referred to the change. With all these kind of women's things with periods and menopause, we always give them uh, really unpleasant names, don't we? But yeah, so it was just something like menopause in years gone by was always something that women went through. They just got on with and did it without complaint because that is what was expected of them. So I think now that these days we talk about it far more openly, we talk about periods far more openly, I think is nothing but a positive change. The danger to that, and there's two, two aspects towards the danger of it. The first one is whenever something like this becomes a really popular topic in the media, there are always people who are going to jump on the bandwagon and want to use it for financial gain. So you will always find people out there who have created lotions and potions or diets and exercises that all directed towards menopause because it's the, it's the latest thing and that their diet and exercise regime or their uh, supplement or lotion is the thing that's going to help you with your menopause symptoms. and. Unfortunately, you know, you, with so much information out there about it, you, as a woman going through menopause with a lot of symptoms having to deal with, you don't know what's right and what's wrong. And you're in, and I just feel that, you know, you're, you're dealing with desperate women that will potentially have a lot of um, disposable income or potentially have disposable income that they will spend that money on because they will do anything to feel like their old selves and so that that's one side the other side about always talking about menopause in such a negative way is that you you strike fear into those in their 20s and 30s and think oh god what what have I got to come towards at least when I was you know positive thing about not talking about it when I was in my 20s and 30s I knew nothing of what was coming towards me so you know that you can um you can see that in both ways can't you 
either be fully informed or be blissfully unaware of what's what's coming. And just for those of you who are in your 20s and 30s out there, menopause is not something you should fear. It is not something that uh, you need to dread. It is not always the negative stories that you hear out there. So what actually is menopause? Like you hear it a lot, but what actually is it? And the menopause, there's lots of like stages within your um, cycle life and menopause being one stage. And actually menopause is just a single moment in time. And most people, you know, quite a lot of people probably won't know this because we talk about being menopausal or I am going through the menopause. But actually, the menopause is just one single moment in time. And it's exactly 12 months since your last period. That day, that moment in time, that is the menopause. And leading up to it, so when you have no menopausal symptoms, you know, when you're having regular periods, you are in a stage of life um, called the premenopause. And then when you're leading up to the menopause, you're starting to experience symptoms, symptoms, that's called the perimenopause. But also people call it the menopause, call it menopausal. So it can get a bit clouded and a bit a bit uh, confusing. But the menopause is just that single moment in time. And then once you're past that, you are postmenopausal. So when we talk about menopausal symptoms, it is mainly that perimenopausal time that people are referring to. Now, on average in the UK, most women go through the menopause around about the age of 51. But the perimenopause symptoms can start up to 10 years before you actually go through the menopause. So you can be in your early 40s and experience uh, perimenopausal symptoms or menopausal symptoms. That's what I'll call it from now on, menopausal symptoms. And although the average age to start experience symptoms is around 45, but there are other ways in which you can enter menopause. So you can enter menopause younger than the age of 45, younger than the age of 40. So it could be something with, um, you know, problems that you've had within yourself that it means you experience going in through the menopause in your 30s. If you've had uh, cancer or a similar kind of uh, disease, means you've had to have a hysterectomy or something like that, or have um, had your ovaries removed, that can force you into menopause because your ovaries are the site of um, where your uh, hormones are, kind of, uh, are coming from. Progesterone is produced from the uh, ovaries. Ovaries helps with the signaling of estrogen. So if you have your ovaries removed, you are going to enter um, menopause very early. And during that perimenopause time, when you're experiencing symptoms, what is happening is that your levels of estrogen are wildly fluctuating. So where normally in a normal cycle, you begin your cycle with your hormones relatively low as you um, go through your menstruation, through your period. And then leading up to ovulation, your estrogen starts rising. 
peaks at ovulation. And then post-ovulation, your estrogen dips down a little bit and progesterone is the main sexual hormone uh, during that time, during your luteal phase. And then just before your next cycle starts, just before your next uh, period comes, you experience a a huge drop-off of estrogen and progesterone. And that's usually where you would experience your PMS symptoms because of the drop off those hormones. And from the drop off those hormones, you might get sore sore breasts, you might get moody, uh, you might get headaches, uh, feel uh, tired, lethargic, you know, several different types of, you know, cravings for food, several different types of symptoms you might get during that PMS, usually around a week before. But during the perimenopause, those uh, hormones, that estrogen in particular, that's what we are getting most of the symptoms for, the estrogen, the fluctuation of estrogen, are wildly fluctuating up and down. And so you may experience those PMS symptoms at any time of the month. And quite often they can feel so much worse. So you know, when, when you're having a, your normal, quote unquote, normal regular cycle, you know, you can, uh, you, you can build up to your PMS. You know when it's coming. It's quite a uh, regular occurrence. So you can, you know, put things in place where, um, where you can help yourself with those symptoms. And that's what I encourage my clients to do. That's why I get them to track their cycles so they can put things in place that helps them during that time of the month because they know they might feel a little bit low in mood or a little bit angry or they get headaches or they get quite lethargic. So we can put things into place. But when you're suffering with perimenopausal symptoms, you don't know when that's going to come because of the huge fluctuations. And this is why, like, if you go to your doctor with menopausal symptoms you know like I did um last last summer and I I was experiencing that the main symptom for me was a real moodiness and anger like I am like if you know me I'm not really an angry person I don't like controversial I don't like um confrontation that's the word I'm looking for I don't like confrontation. I don't like arguments. I'm quite sensitive like that. So I'll, I'll avoid all things like that. And, you know, I, I, I'd like to think I'm reasonably chilled, unless it's on a network call, obviously. Um, but I'm reasonably chilled. And last summer, I was experiencing some of the craziest m- moods ever. And I would, I would just go red with anger. And I'd I'd just explode. I'd explode at my family. I'd explode at work, at everything. And I didn't know what was happening to me. I was like, what on earth is this? This is not like me. This is not how I behave. And and it was only really, so how old was I? I would have been like 43, 44. Um, It probably started around the October before my 44th birthday. So it was around about 43. So technically, younger than the average age of when your menopausal symptoms start. And 
I remember talking to my mum about it and she was saying about how when she was around my age, she was pretty much finished with periods. My nan um, was the same. She had her last child, you know, quite late and then never had a period again. So after having a child, she went straight into menopause, never had never had a period. So, you know, if you're wondering, a good one of the good things to do is to ask, you know, when did your mum go through the menopause and when did her mum? Because it quite often the pattern runs through the family line, the, the maternal line. So do ask, you know, your mum if um if you can, if she remembers when she went through menopause and it's likely to be around the same sort of age, or you're likely to experience things around the same sort of age. So I decided to go, you know, I started really, I had few, quite a few other symptoms. Sleep um, was a struggle for me. And it was never really like, I could go to sleep absolutely fine, but I would wake up in the middle of the night and I'd really struggle to go back to sleep or I would wake up the next morning and technically I would have had eight hours sleep. I did not feel like I had eight hours sleep. Um, and so I'd constantly have this feeling of tiredness and that was all that I think was the hardest thing um and then itchy skin especially around my back and why is it that when your skin itches it's always the area you can't reach yourself (laughs) and um so yeah itchy skin was a real bugbear of mine as well achy joints I start feeling it in my knees so I kind of started putting a few things together so I went to go to the doctor and talk to her about um, my symptoms and potentially getting on HRT. And the doctor wanted to send me for blood tests. I was 44 at the time. She was like, oh, I'll send you for blood tests. Now, I'm a um, repro reflexologist. I forgot the name there. I'm a reproductive reflexologist. So I've undergone extra training where I have learnt about uh, the reproductive hormones within men and women, how they work, how the cycle works, having all the issues that uh, me and Paul had in terms of um, fertility and getting pregnant, staying pregnant. I've learnt quite a bit about how um, the hormones work, how your cycle works, that kind of thing. So she wanted to send me for blood tests and I you know my answer was like well what's the point because what you know you can't really diagnose menopause through blood tests so if um you know if you go to have because I said to her what day shall I go and she was like well go any day and I was like okay well if I was to go on the day where my hormones were quote-unquote normal what are you going to do when I'm saying I'm experiencing all these symptoms? You're, are you going to turn around and say, well, no, your levels are normal. So therefore you are not experiencing these symptoms. And therefore you're not perimenopausal. And she was like, oh, no, I'll go off your symptoms then. And I was like, OK, so why are you? So I was like asking her the question again. Why are you then sending me for blood tests? And she then caveated that with like, that she'll test me for other things like vitamin, my vitamin levels and my iron levels, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I did go for the blood tests and they did come back normal, but she 
uh, was still willing. I mean, I was 44 at the, at the time and the NICE guidelines uh, say that if you are 45 and experiencing menopausal symptoms, the doctor should not send you for blood tests and that they should be um, going off your symptoms. So if you are 45 or over and experiencing the symptoms and you are struggling to get seek help from your doctor or struggling to get HRT off your doctor, then um, definitely go back to them with the nice guidelines that they should be going off your symptoms. So then I did start HRT and I have noticed uh, a significant improvement. So I take the estrogen gel and the progesterone um, tablet, which you take for half your cycle. Now, I am obviously an advocate of HRT. However, I think if you are experiencing menopausal symptoms, whether or not you go to your doctor for HRT is absolutely a discussion between you and your doctor, you and yourself, because as much as HRT is not the scary um, stories I always remember like 20, 30 years ago, whatever, about the links of HRT to breast cancer and the scare stories around the time, actually it's now understood that the links are very much to estrogen uh, biased type of breast cancer. So if you've had breast cancer in the family or you've had breast cancer before and it's the estrogen type, therefore then HRT is not um, suitable. But like I say, it is a t- uh, something you need to discuss with your doctor. And I certainly, I talk about my experience of HRT, but I certainly don't advise anyone or my clients to take HRT. It's a decision you need to make yourself. And I think that's very important, but also very empowering. So, you know, don't be fooled to think that you have to take HRT. You don't. HRT, however, is the only way to replace, um, fully replace your estrogen levels and, and your hormone levels, progesterone as well. Um, but you don't necessarily have to take it. And then I'd also like to add that, you know, some people, some women, say people, some women will go through the menopause, may have one or two symptoms, but they're not that severe. And, you know, there was research to show that um, out of I think it was just over 4,000 women in this research take, took part in this research about menopause and 46.7% of them experienced symptoms. So flip that on the head, that means at least half of the women out there that will go through menopause are likely to not experience symptoms. So this is why I say, you know, don't fear the menopause because you may not experience some of the scare, I don't want to say scare stories, but you know, some women really do go through it, um, you know, and do have a really hard time. I touch words, you know, I know I got my mood completely changed and I had um, a few of the other symptoms, but touch words, I've never really experienced the hot flushes during the day or the night sweats. Like a few podcasts ago, I talked about how wine has affected me. And so I've, I've stopped drinking wine, pretty much stopped drinking at all now. Um, and so I just can't drink wine because I wake up in the night with these hot flushes. But touch wood, I am yet to wake up with like whole bed sheets 
absolutely soaking. And this is what some of the women, some women go through. So, you know, how every woman, you know, it's this exactly the same as your cycle and your periods, how, how, what one, how it affects one woman does not necessarily mean it's going to affect you the, the same way. We are all very different. Our cycles are all very different. And therefore, how we go through and experience the menopause will all be very, very different. Some women, yes, do have a really, really awful time. But other women don't experience anything and just breeze through it and may not even know that they are quote unquote perimenopausal or coming up to the menopause um, because they're just not getting any symptoms and that's just that is just the way it is that is just life now the the side of the women so who the 46.7 percent in this research um, that were experiencing symptoms I think the interesting thing is that those experienced symptoms were had a significantly high impact on work impairment and daily activity impairment. So their symptoms would impact their performance at work and their daily activities, whatever those activities may be and how, how those symptoms may. And, you know, it could be linked to like lack of sleep or lack of quality sleep or achy joints. So, you know, doing the cleaning, for example, is a lot harder or walking um, the dog is a lot harder because of your joints aching. And that kind of so whatever your daily activity is, you are if you are experiencing symptoms, you are significantly more likely to have that impact on your work life and your daily life. Um, and also, if you're experiencing symptoms, the research shows that your the number of visits you take to the doctor also increase because of obviously the symptoms that that you're having. So. When I talk to a lot of women about um, menopause and the um, symptoms that we come across, most women, and I think a lot of women around my age, will always, and you've probably said this yourself, if you know, if you're going through menopause, perimenopause, menopause, postmenopause, and that's all around weight gain. It is often a a conversation that I have with uh, women. It's like, I don't understand. Nothing has changed, but I seem to be gaining weight. How can I get rid of the belly belly fat, as as it's called? I don't like to use that word, but how can I get rid of the fat that I've gained around my belly? And I never. I used to always have a flat stomach, but now I'm holding a lot more fat in my belly. And but nothing has changed in my life, and I don't understand why. And a lot, a lot of this is uh, related to the reduction of estrogen. So as you're going through perimenopause, your estrogen fluctuates hugely until then when you enter menopause and postmenopause, your estrogen levels just flat, essentially flatline. Now, because of the uh, reduction of estrogen in your system, system that means that it's not necessarily you have um more body fat which can be something but it doesn't necessarily mean you have more body fat what it is is that distribution of body fat is now different with 
the reduction of estrogen. So what estrogen does is it encourages your body to essentially hold fat much more around your bum and your legs, which is why women usually have bigger bums and legs in comparison to males. Men, however, obviously don't have as much estrogen as we do. And so they tend to hold their belly fat around their tummies. Now, as much as you might not like having the fat around your thighs and your bum, actually, it's a much safer uh, place to store your fat. Because when you store body fat around your midsection, it's starting to get around your vital organs. And that is the kind of so visceral fat. And that's the kind of fat that can actually be dangerous um, to your health. And that's how you can uh, develop some more uh, serious diseases. So as your estrogen essentially goes into flatline, you will um, start to store more body fats. It's not, it's not always necessarily a case of gaining body fat. It's more of a case of how your body fat is distributed across your body. And you're far more likely to hold it in your belly than you are elsewhere because of the reduction of estrogen. And then what the question is, how can I reduce the belly fat? And, you know, again, this is where where I was talking at the beginning about how um, women are encouraged you know there are menopausal diets out there now there is no special diet for you during your menopause how you lose body fat in menopause is exactly the same as how you lose body fat in any time of your life and it's all about the calorie deficit the difference is between those in menopause and those potentially not is because of your symptoms it will feel so much harder in order to create that deficit. You know, so the typical symptoms being, you know, quality or lack of quality of sleep and even lack of quantity of sleep. You're struggling to stay asleep at night. It is those hot flushes and hot sweats. Um, it's, um, you know, lots of other symptoms that you can have means that actually your cravings go up you the motivation particularly if you're tired and moody and low mood you know the the, the increase of depression around that time especially when you you know have very low estrogen you know very much like pms symptoms where you have low mood then uh, the motivation for you to eat well and exercise goes out the window. Now, let's not forget as well when, you know, in this day and age, you know, I think a lot of it as well, if you go back like 50, 60 years, when women went through the menopause, not only was it not spoken about because obviously it was a woman's issue, let's not go there, but <laughs> um, because you wouldn't have that much time on this earth left whereas now when we're going through the menopause in our 40s and 50s really we still have a good 20 30 40 years to go at least so it's 
still, you know, you are going to spend, as a woman, you're going to spend a significant amount of time of your life in post-menopause. So, I forgot what my point was now. <laughs> yes, yeah, so when, when we think about that, we're having babies later and we're, we are living longer. So when you are in your 40s and 50s, you are likely to have children. You know, my, I'm 45 and mine are seven and four, so I've got very young children. So you're likely to have children, very likely for those children to still be living at home and be dependent on you. You know, even if you have secondary school children, you still have them living at home and dependent on you. And let's be honest, the way the the, the financial markets and stuff are, housing markets like now, our kids are probably going to be living with us until they're, you know, their 20s and 30s because they can't afford to move out. So you've got children living with you, most likely still very dependent on you. And then you've got elderly parents who are potentially in their 60s, 70s, 80s, who are now starting to rely on you, who, because their ability, you know, their, their independence is perhaps dropping, perhaps they are suffering with uh, illnesses, cancer, um, heart disease, stroke, dementia, you know, there's potential there. So you're having to be a carer towards your parents. And then in your 40s and 50s, you are potentially at the peak of your career as well. And then you put on top of that all these symptoms where you're not sleeping, your um, mood is changing all the time, you feel very low, your fat is distributed across your body. So you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're seeing yourself, you know, getting um, more fat around your midsection. So all that is going to compound together. And then you think about having to um, having to go and do uh, eat well, cook nutritious foods, go and do some exercise. I can completely understand why women are like, no, haven't got the energy for this. However, from one perimenopausal woman to another, I will say that the research behind menopause and it's not a huge amount but there is some the research behind menopause says that diet and exercise are the only non-controversial treatments of menopause that is beneficial to all so if you're suffering with these symptoms and you have a lot going on in your life i totally understand that the the motivation to go and eat well and exercise is very, very, very low. However, if you do want to feel better for yourself, the best thing you can do is to eat well and exercise. And those two things have the biggest impact you could potentially have outside of HRT, potentially, and will make you feel so much better so much better so what should you do then in order to help ease some of these symptoms and make you feel better so in terms of exercise so if you uh, have done no exercise at all or exercise hasn't really been part of your life 
then I suggest you go and find something that you enjoy. So there is no one exercise I say you will um, have to do other than some kind of strength training. Now, one of the other impacts of reduction of estrogen is that this, so as we grow older, we will um, suffer with something called sarcopenia, both men and women as you get older. So from the age of about 30, the reduction in muscle mass, which is sarcopenia, uh, so your muscle mass decreases by about 3 to 5% per decade. The, the issue that women have is because uh, there are estrogen receptors within muscle, because when we go through the menopause, we're obviously going to get reduction in estrogen, that we that will have a bigger impact on the amount of muscle loss that we will experience. And I've spoken about this again in another podcast. I think it was like third one, like third reasons why women should strength train. And strength training is all about maintaining and or building muscle. So strength training will really, really help during menopause, during that reduction of estrogen to help maintain or even build some muscle. And why do we want to do this? One of the reasons, uh, even, you know, just for a aesthetic look, is muscle is far more metabolically active than uh, fat is. So that means in order to keep your muscle, it will burn more calories. Not significant. Like don't think that you get an extra meal a day because you have more muscle. It's not that significant. However, it is more metabolically active. But more importantly, maintaining and building muscle as we age is so important for your independence. So if you have the more muscle you have and the more muscle you can maintain, you are far more likely to be able to move about independently in your old age, you know, to the point of going taking yourself to the toilet, going out and about in town on your own, you know, playing around with the grandkids. I talk about this all the time, and it is most definitely one of the top priorities for me as the reasons why I want to build and maintain muscle. Um, it's also one of the biggest protectors um, for if you have a fall. So what strength training does as well is help increase uh, and maintain your bone density. Again, menopause and reduction for menopause, a reduction in estrogen in menopause means that your, your bone density will suffer. And this is why older women are far more likely to suffer with osteoporosis than men. So if you're older and you've done nothing to maintain muscle, nothing to try and avoid reduction in bone density, you fall over and break a hip, you are far more likely to die within the year of breaking that hip, not because of the broken hip, but because of all the procedures and, and the visits to hospital you will have to have within that next year because of it. So if you maintain muscle and if you maintain your bone density, if you fall over, you're far less likely to suffer such serious injury. So um, another another exercise you might want to uh, uh, include is 
um, which also helps with bone density, is some kind of impact. Um, so strength training helps with that. Um, running, walking, hiking, anything which means that you are impacting against something will also help. But, you know, without taking those into account, literally any kind of exercise will help you with your menopausal symptoms. So whether that's running, cycling, swimming, anything that gets you moving will really, really help. Walking. And walking is one of the best exercises that you can do for, for your health, for getting outside, getting fresh air and sunlight in your eyes, which will help your sleep and your circadian rhythms. Walking is a great way of helping you, you know, with your with your mood, with your mental health. I always feel so much better when I've gone out for a walk and come back. As much as a lot of the time, you know, especially in the morning, I've taken the kids to school or Paul's taking the kids to school. I really, really want to just get back into bed because sometimes it just feels so hard. But going out for a walk and I come back, I feel so much better, so much better about myself and about life in general, which I know sounds so dramatic, but it honestly is true. And I think a lot of you out there will totally um, understand that and totally uh, hear me on that one. Um, so exercise is the best thing you can do. And you can start off small. So start off with some walking, you know, some strength training, start off with body weight. So some body weight squats, um, doing, you know, push-ups are fucking hard. So if you can do push-ups, you know, that's a great body weight exercise to do. Um, so, you know, there's lots of things that you can do at home. And even with a band or a set of dumbbells, just start there. Just start somewhere. I am not saying if you've never strength trained in your life and you're feeling really nervous that you should go and join the gym. I would love to see even more uh, perimenopausal women in the gym for sure. But I totally understand that that can feel really intimidating. So start at home. Start, you know, with some really simple squats, presses, push-ups, um, lunges. Um, there's lots of things you can do. You can find loads of um, stuff on YouTube uh, and just do something. Something is always better than nothing. And 20 minutes, if, you, if you're short on time because you have an extremely busy life, 20 minutes and you can, you know, do quite a lot in there. You can get make it really quite intense. Um, so, yeah, just do something. And the the you know, the hormones that get released after exercise, the dopamine, the serotonin, you know, serotonin levels are obviously very low during menopause as well. So, you know, doing the exercise, you always feel so much better afterwards, as much as in the moment, you really don't want to do it. And sometimes, you know, we have to do things, I wrote a post about this today, uh, or last night, I think it was, um, that, you know, Self-compassion is not just about positive thinking and having um, a bath and a facial. Self-compassion is actually doing those things that in the moment we don't want to do. So when you're suffering all these symptoms and life is very, very busy, 
sometimes exercise is the thing that you do not want to do. But for longevity of life and for your future self, exercise is the thing you need to be doing. So the self-compassion in compassion side in you is getting yourself to do that. And it is only 20 minutes. Start with 20 minutes three times a week and you'll be surprised the impact that that can have on your mood and your symptoms. So the other side would be diet. So think about your diet. One of the things that really would help you and your menopause symptoms is reducing the ultra processed foods in your life. And there was some research that showed that a group of women who um, had a reduction of ultra processed foods had a reduction in their symptoms. And, or the, sorry, quote that wrong. So the the, the women who ate more ultra-processed food, it was the other way around, so beg your pardon. So the women who ate more ultra-processed foods had more severe symptoms than those who didn't eat as much ultra-processed foods. Now, the, the thing with the research is, are those with more severe um, menopausal symptoms eating more ultra-processed foods because their symptoms mean that they don't want to cook or is it the ultra processed foods causing more menopausal symptoms or more severe menopausal symptoms i suspect it's a bit of both really but if you can reduce the amount of ultra processed foods in your diet you will probably find uh, a significant in, um, decrease in your symptoms another thing you'll want to do is also increase the amount of protein so protein again if you're starting to exercise starting to strength train you are essentially damaging those muscles you need to rebuild them back and you rebuild them by eating more protein so um getting more protein into your diet uh, would be a really really good thing and especially when the amount of protein as a menopausal woman, the, the way in which we synthesize protein into our muscles and the, the mechanisms behind it reduce. So when we're eating 100 grams of protein, you are not necessarily able to synthesize that 100 grams of protein throughout the day. So in fact, as a menopausal woman, you need more so you can get the minimum levels. So you need more protein than you would have done pre-menopause. Uh, so protein, another thing is fruit and veg. So making sure your fiber is uh, increased. You really want to be aiming for at least 25 to 30 grams of fiber a day. Um, so increasing your fruit and veg. And the, the, the things go kind of hand in hand. So you know, if you're going to reduce your ultra processed foods, the likelihood is you'll probably replace that with a lot more fruit and veg. So do try and get a lot more fruit and veg into your diet as that will um, help with like all the nutrients in that in, in fruit and veg will help as well. And if you are, um, you know, not taking HRT or you want to naturally increase 
um, estrogen levels, then you might want to think about increasing the foods with phytoestrogens in there. Again, you know, if you're not taking HRT because of the breast cancer link, um, then you might not want to increase your phytoestrogens because equally you don't want to have more estrogen in your body. So the kind of foods that you want then that are high in uh, phytoestrogens uh, would be things like flax seeds, um, which you can like sprinkle onto your um, porridge or your cereal, put them in uh, smoothies. Um, soy, so having tofu or soy milk can help. Um, some fruits as well. Um, peaches, blueberries, strawberries, garlic, red wine also. However, you might want to balance off the, the potential of phytoestrogens in red wine against the, the increase of symptoms from drinking the wine. Um, so I think it's more to do with the grape. So grape juice is probably a little bit better. Um, sesame seeds, uh, cruciferous vegetables, so things like broccoli, Brussels sprouts, kale, um, and nuts like cashews, almonds, peanuts, and pistachios. But remember with nuts, they, they, they're quite high in calories. So if fat loss is a goal, um, you might want to limit your portion sizes of some of those nuts um, as well. So with, um, with diet, again, it is high protein, lots of fruit and veg to increase your fiber, potential of adding phytoestrogens. And all those things, you know, try and look at your plate of food and try and make the vast majority of it actual ingredients. So this is all about encouraging you to do a lot more home cooking uh, and making as much as you can from scratch in order to reduce that ultra processed foods. In And if you do that with your diet and exercise, you will probably notice a significant increase or decrease in your symptoms you'll notice a significant increase in your mood and when when you're feeling quite low because of the impact of your symptoms wanting doing those things feels so hard and I get it it does feel so hard but you're not going to feel better until you do those things so again, going back to that motivation podcast I did a while ago, which is, I think is my most listened to podcast, you know, motivation is never going to come out of nowhere. You're going to have to take action first. And then when you start feeling the positive impacts of that motivation, of that action, beg your pardon, then you'll start finding motivation may come. So it's super important that you just just do it. Just as Nike says, just do it. Just get, get yourself started and just do it. And little by little, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to turn around and go, right, that's it. I'm going to go to the gym five times a week. No, the gym intimidates me and I'm never going to eat chocolate again. And I'm never having a takeaway and I'm only going to eat um, broccoli and chicken. And, you know, it doesn't have to be that extreme because Doing things like that, when people say things like that, it actually is, it's so extreme. It's just making them 
go into that perfectionist mindset where they know they're going to fail or they'll only be able to do it one maybe two weeks and therefore when they when they fail on it because they can't go to the gym because they're intimidated or life is just far too busy for them to go five times a week for an hour every time then you know they're going to go well I can't do it therefore I just I do nothing and that's just you giving yourself excuses to get out of it so start very small just go right I'm going to go for a 10 minute walk every day I'm going to do three 20 minute strength workouts a week I'm going to add more vegetables onto my plate for my meals and I'm going to try and add more protein that's all you need to do to start with all you need to do is to start with there and potentially talk to your doctor about HRT. But again, like I said earlier, that's a discussion between you and your doctor. So just starting off small and you'll start feeling the benefits of those actions. Stay consistent with it. Because that is the, that's also key. Like I go on about consistency all the time. So it's all well and good. You saying I'm going to go to the gym five times a week. I'm only going to eat these foods, never eat these foods. Because after a week, you probably will feel pretty good. But it's so unsustainable, you will never be able to stay consistent at that. And therefore, it will just fall apart. So start small, you'll feel some benefits, and that will give you the motivation to continue going. And because it's sustainable, you will be able to keep going. And that is the difference. So there are definitely the two things that you need to be doing to help with your menopausal symptoms. Other things are kind of like fluff around the sides, really. And quite often we, you know, see lots of things like supplements um, that are directed now towards menopause women. Because I'm talking about this in front of my phone and my iPad, I'm probably going to be um, bombarded now on social media about menopausal su- supplements and stuff like that. Um, so... There are a couple of supplements you probably should consider taking. So the first one being creatine. So creatine monohydrate. So that helps with um, strength, power and endurance. But it does also have cognitive benefits. Now, I recommend taking between three and five grams a day. It comes in a powdered form. You can get tablets, but the powdered form is so much cheaper. You can get it off Amazon. Just make sure it's the creatine monohydrate. And um, there is, yeah, there is evidence um, that it could help with the brain fog. Um, that's a symptom. That's a symptom I haven't spoken about. That's brain fog for you. I haven't spoken. And that's a symptom I have always, uh, honestly, suffered with all the time. Like just forgetting names, forgetting words, um, just being in the middle of a sentence and just forgetting what I'm talking about. I quite often am like that when I'm doing a voice note and um, I'm always apologizing for my menopausal brain and that's probably something I should stop doing. Um, but yes, creatine can help with um, cognitive uh, brain fog in menopausal women. There's also potential evidence to suggest it might also help uh, reduce the likelihood of developing dementia later on in life. Um, Omega-3, so if you're not eating enough uh, fatty acids or um, fatty fish like sardines, salmon, tuna, if you're oily fish, that's the word, isn't it? 
menopausal brain. Um, if you're not eating enough of that during the week, then I recommend you um, taking a supplement of omega-3. Omega-3 is very important for the integrity of your every cell in your body. Also has lots of brain benefits as well, brain health benefits. Um, it can also help with recovery of, from exercise. Um, and then the third one is vitamin D. For obvious reasons, we can only get vitamin D from the sun, from sunlight. So as we're going into winter, it is probably something you might want to consider supplementing with. Now, those three supplements I recommend to everyone. And it doesn't matter what age you are or even what gender you are. I recommend those three supplements uh, as a good option for everyone. Now, when you're in uh, perimenopause and menopause, it's possibly even more important to uh, have those, particularly like the vitamin D. I didn't say the benefits. Vitamin D helps with bone health, can help with immunity. Um, and uh, when you're going through perimenopause, you're more likely to be even more uh, deficient in vitamin D. So, um, yeah, I would highly recommend taking those supplements. But there are other supplements you know, you can search Google and search for menopause or supplements. And there are a significant number of supplements you can take for menopause. None of them are going to, quote unquote, balance your hormones. Um, the only thing you can do for that is potentially having like phytoestrogens. But really, it's HRT are the only things that can really balance your hormones. So don't get sucked into that marketing. But some of them may help with some of your um, symptoms. And quite often, it might just be related to placebo. So there's no real research to back that these supplements help with, you know, um, mechanistically help with symptoms. You know, there's, you know, cellular deep research to show that these supplements help. But um, anecdotally, they can help um, with with your symptoms and quite often it's probably related to placebo um so these supplements are so ashwagandha so ashwagandha can help with uh feelings reduce feelings of stress or um help with quality of your sleep collagen that's always a um very popular um thing for older women to be taking uh, it can help with brittle nails and hair. Um, it can help with joint health as well, collagen, because you get collagen in your joints. Um, and also it has a benefit in terms of your um, the wrinkles in your skin, in your face. And if you are taking collagen because mainly related to reduction in um, wrinkles in your skin because collagen is really expensive so if you're taking it for that for like anti-aging purposes then I would honestly look at whether or not you're wearing sunscreen because if you're not wearing sunscreen every day collagen is not going to make any benefit and look at more your topical uh, agents rather than uh, ingesting collagen if you want anti-aging uh, reasons for it uh, magnesium, sleep, recovery, and bone health. Magnesium helps with. Now, I 
use sometimes magnesium spray and it quite possibly is placebo but I honestly think it does help with my doms sometimes after a really particular hard workout I'll spray on and it also has lavender in it so it's really good just to have before bed sage can help with pain and inflammation especially around the joints that you can get milk thistle um, is supposed to help with hot flushes maca root is another one which might help with feelings of depression and anxiety but again it is up to you <clears throat> try not to get um uh, brought in by a lot of the marketing around menopausal su supplements okay so spoke quite a while quite a lot longer than i expected to talk about with menopause it's such a big topic um that i could probably go on for a bit longer but i'll end it there um but if you are suffering with menopausal symptoms and have any other questions about the menopause, please get in contact with me. I am on Instagram at Coach by Leanne. I'd love to help. If, as well, um, you are suffering in particular with trying to get diet and exercise, you know, if you've got a fat loss goal um, and you want to start strength training, want to start exercising, you don't know how to do it and uh, you are currently um, perimenopause or menopausal, I have many a client, the vast majority of my clients are around this kind of age bracket and are either just entering perimenopause or even postmenopause. And they are seeing and feeling the benefits from eating better and strength training. So it really does work. So if you need any help with that or have any questions, and you just want to have a starting point, come and find me, come and ask me for some help. I'm more than happy to give um, you some tips to help you on your uh, fitness journey. But I hope you found today's episode helpful and inspiring. If you have any questions or suggestions for future topics, feel free to reach out to me by Instagram. Like I said, I am at Coach by Leanne. And as always, please don't forget to subscribe and leave a review if you enjoyed today's episode. And if you're struggling with setting yourself with a successful fitness journey, then why not get in touch and see if I can help? Send me a DM on Instagram and I'd love to chat. Until next time, stay strong, stay empowered and keep working towards your fitness goals. Remember, you are capable of incredible things. Bye.